Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your presence here with us this morning. God, we thank you that you are the light of the world. God, I pray this morning as I speak that your words would flow through me and to those who have ears to hear. God, I ask that anything that isn't of you would just be forgotten and that only what you would speak would be remembered. I pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. So, how many of you were at the community church service that we had last Sunday? It's quite a number of you. I thought it was just a fantastic service. Uh, I hope you agree with me. There's something beautiful about the followers of Christ coming together for worship. It's something that I, I guess, for myself personally, I hope to continue to see more of in our community in the future, putting down our differences and uniting together, coming together to worship under the banner of Jesus Christ, working together to exemplify what it looks like to follow God and worship in community. If you read through the apostles, uh, the, sorry, the epistles written by the apostles, which are the le- they're the letters that are written to the first churches. Uh, most of them authored by uh, the Apostle Paul, time and time again, you will see unity, 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 unity. As followers of Jesus Christ, we must strive towards unity. And and one of my favorite moments uh, of the service that uh, took place last Sunday at the park was, was when Pastor Nick from the RCC asked everyone who had been involved in Living Fountain Bible Camp to stand up And then watching as young and old all over the gathering stood to their feet. Seeing the impact of those who've served at camp over the years uh, is such a great testimony of the difference that Christ can make in a person's life and in a community. The impact that each of those men and women who were faithful to serve has made ripples through time and, in fact, into eternity. If you've had the opportunity to attend here at PV over the summer, you know that we've been going through a series on the Beatitudes. Now, the Beatitudes are Jesus' opening statements of blessing in, uh, when he preached the Sermon on the Mount. And, and today, I was slated to bring that series to a close with Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 and 16, the passage that talks about salt and light. Uh, but for those of you who were here two Sundays ago, you know that we had such a great time making refugee kits uh, that Darren didn't actually have the opportunity to preach the sermon that he had prepared on the eighth beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Uh, So this morning we are going to, I guess, semi-conclude our series on the beatitudes because next week, uh, as far as I know, Darren is going to be preaching the sermon that he had planned to preach two Sundays ago. So it's a little bit out of order. Uh, nonetheless, we think it's still going to work out, so uh, take it for what it is. Uh, so this morning, if you want to follow along with me, let's turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 to 16. And I'll read it for you. It says, it says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. 
Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. This, this passage of Scripture is, is likely pretty familiar to many of you. I, I think it's one of those passages that we read and we kind of instinctively understand what it means. Or, or at least we think we have a pretty good idea what Jesus was getting at when he used this metaphor. Maybe we read this passage and go, oh yeah, that's, I get it. Salt brings flavor to our food, so we as Christians need to bring flavor to the world. And, and all of a sudden, we take on Danny's whole hog marketing campaign, and you know, we're Christians and we'll bring that flavor. I was hoping Carlene or Rachel, someone would be here to do that for me. But, but, but as catchy as that may be, that, that's not entirely what Jesus was getting at here, or at least it's not the full picture. While there's truth in it, I think there's more, there's more to the metaphor that Jesus was saying. Uh, maybe we read these words of Jesus and we start to think, yeah, I, you know, I really need to be more of a light to those around me. Have I really been shining as bright as I can? Maybe I need to try to shine brighter, or, or maybe I should at least stop hiding the light, you know? And, and again, while there may be truth to that interpretation, I, I think we're missing much of the richness of the metaphor that Jesus presented when he compared us as followers, as his followers, to salt and light. So, why, why did Jesus use this metaphor? What does it mean to be salt and light in the world? One of the first things that we need to understand when we look at Jesus' teaching here is that it's a continuation of a, of a description of what it looks like to be of God's kingdom. The difference that exists for those who follow Christ. Jesus has just finished going through these statements of blessing that we looked at throughout the summer, pointing out all the ways that, uh, that makes someone who is in his kingdom different than the kingdom of the world. But, but we need to be careful here because sometimes we may start to think that we are somehow better than the world around us. We see ourselves as righteous and above those sinful people out there. We read this passage and we might come to think that I am the light and therefore I need to go and shine on all those dark people out there. Brothers and sisters, let us never uh, begin to think in such a self-righteous way. It's a bit of a paradox, really, because in reality... A disciple of Jesus is no different than anyone else. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. As Jesus points out in the Beatitudes, we are all called blessed in the midst of our brokenness and in the midst of our need. In fact, it is our meekness and our brokenness that begins the transformative work of Christ in our lives. We don't go before the throne of God with pride. We don't go before the throne of God saying, I have it all figured out, now I can be a light. That's not how it works. So on the one hand, a follower of Jesus is no different than anyone else in the world, and yet at the same time, a follower of Jesus is radically different than anyone else in the world. The people of God and the kingdom of God are distinctly different than the world. Why? Not because we're different. Because God is distinctly different from the world. When you became a Christian through faith, Christ came to dwell with you by his Holy Spirit, and thus that difference is reflected in you. 
God is holy, that means he is set apart. His ways are completely different than the world's ways. In and of yourself, you are no different. It is Christ within you that makes all the difference. Notice what Jesus says again. I think sometimes we, we uh, misread it a little bit. It says, uh, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. And you are the light of the world. This is a statement of identity, not a statement of purpose. Too often we use this verse to perhaps encourage Christian activism. All right, you Christians, you need to go out and be the light and be the salt. That's not what Jesus is saying. While it may be effective, perhaps as a guilt trip, we should not be motivated by guilt or obligation to go out and serve the world around us. If you have accepted Christ and are following him, you are the salt and you are the light. Our identity comes before our behavior. If you follow Christ, this is who you are. If Christ has changed your life, his redemptive work will already be evident. You are the salt and the light. Now go and live in that truth. So what's so good about salt? Like I said before, for us today, we kind of think of salt as the thing that brings flavor. At bare minimum, if you add a little salt to something bland, you can at least make it edible. I don't know how many of you have tried McDonald's french fries without salt. They're not nearly as good. It's the incredible amount of salt that makes them taste good. At least, I think so. Sometimes they put too much salt on there, though. We won't get into that. But, but in Jesus' day, beyond being used to enhance flavor, salt actually had three other uses that were very significant, if not more significant than flavoring food. First of all, salt was used primarily as a preservative. You have to remember, in, in Jesus' day, they had not invented refrigerators yet. So food, especially meat, would spoil really quickly unless you covered it in salt. Secondly, salt was used as a fertilizer in ancient times. And the salt that Jesus is talking about wasn't necessarily your standard table salt, not your sodium chloride. The salts in Jesus' day were mixtures of chlorides of, of sodium, magnesium, potassium with very small amounts of calcium sulfate or, or gypsum. Some of these would dissolve more quickly than others while some were able to withstand the elements, right? So it's talking a little bit about a different kind of salt. Thirdly, salt was also used as currency. Soldiers were often paid in salt. This is where we get the English word for salary, in fact. And the saying, someone is worth their salt. Now, next payday, if your employer gave you a bag of salt instead of a paycheck, you might not be very happy. In fact, you might be kind of salty. But in those days, you would have been pumped because salt was very valuable. So if we follow the metaphor, Jesus is potentially pointing out three things that we don't often read into the text. First of all, you are valuable. In the kingdom of God, each one of you has immense Inherent, inherent value. None of us should ever think that we don't have anything to give 
or contribute in God's kingdom. We should not measure our value by the world's standards, but but rather recognize our value in Christ. Second, we are fertilizer that will help new life to grow in difficult areas. This uh, metaphor makes a little more sense if you see in another gospel, in, in Luke if you want to turn there, you can go ahead. It's, uh, it's just a short little verse. Luke chapter 14, verse 34. Jesus says this again, kind of the same thing that he said in Matthew, but he adds a piece that sometimes has is, is confounded people. They don't really understand what he meant by it because it doesn't make a lot of sense. But in, in Luke 14, verse 34, after Jesus has talked to his disciples about counting the cost of following him, Jesus again uses salt as a metaphor. Um, and he says, salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor the manure pile. It is thrown out. So this idea of salt not being good for a manure pile, that's, that's kind of confusing. Like, that doesn't make sense. What was Jesus talking about? Why would you salt a pile of manure, right? But back in ancient times, the, salt was often used in combination with other, fertilizer, with other fertilizers to encourage growth. Anthony Anthony Bradley writes this, The followers of Jesus Christ are sent on a mission to stimulate growth in the parts of the world that are barren and to be mixed into the manure piles of the world so that God can use that fertilizer to bring new virtuous life. But if those same followers are not committed to radically counter-cultural message of Jesus Christ, they will lose their saltiness, which is the unique witness to the power of the gospel that brings the kingdom of God to the messes of the world, stimulating life and growth. If we lose our saltiness, we are no longer good for anything and cannot be the agents of change that Jesus intended for his followers to be. And thirdly, Jesus emphasizes that we are the preservative of the world. And no, I'm not uh, getting all eco-friendly on you, although I do believe that as Christians, We have a mandate to take care of nature as God originally commands us in Genesis. But no, I think what Jesus is saying here is, look around you. The world is full of sin. It's in a state of decay, heading towards death. And if you follow me, you will preserve the world around you. Just as God through Christ has saved us from death and saved us from decay, we will, by our very nature bring others to that same preserving power. We are the ones who have been put in place by God to stop the death and decay by pointing others towards God's redemptive work in Christ. All three of these qualities of salt should help us to realize that that we have immense impact on the world around us. Salt has very distinct qualities when you add salt to something, it, it doesn't take on the qualities of what it's added to. No, salt is the influencer. In, G- in Jesus' day, salt was a difference maker. It's no wonder that Jesus says that we are the salt of the earth. Salt, although we now don't hold it in such high regard, is actually a really beautiful metaphor for a follower of Jesus. Light is also an extremely powerful metaphor. Light is used throughout scriptures as a metaphor for God and holiness, directly opposed to darkness as the descriptor for the devil and evil. 
from the beginning of creation, right from the start, uh, when God spoke light into existence, it has stood as a powerful example of his glory. The Apostle John begins his account of Jesus' life quite differently than the other gospel writers. Uh, so if you want to turn there, in John chapter 1, verse 1, I'll read, I'll read the intro that he gives to his gospel. He writes this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. This is talking about Jesus being present at the start of creation. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men, the light that shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And again, in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus himself, uh, Jesus compares himself to light. Uh, he says this, let me just turn there. John chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So there we have it. If we walk with Jesus, we too have that same light. But this can get a little confusing because the Bible is saying Jesus is the light, but According to Jesus, we are also the light. How does that work? I think this metaphor is best understood when we look at the two most prominent sources of light that we know on this earth. The sun and the moon. On a clear night, we, we see the light of the moon and we think, wow, that's so beautiful. The moon is amazing. And when I think of a bright, clear moon, I, I remember a couple of years back at the youth kickoff camp out, uh, which, by the way, for those of you who are of youth age, is happening again next weekend at Stephen Field. Uh, and in and, and this, this year, when the moon was so bright, uh, you didn't even need a flashlight to walk around outside in the middle of the night. In fact, we played a night game uh, called No Bears Out Tonight. How many of you guys know what No Bears Out Tonight is? I'm looking over at my grandma, because she's the one who taught me No Bears Out Tonight, and I pass it on as a game because it was so much fun. Uh, so no bears out tonight, basically you have one person hiding, they're the bear, and then everybody else kind of wanders around in the dark until the bear jumps out and tags them, and then they become a bear, and so on and so forth. It's a really fun game, but it, it was actually kind of difficult to be the bear, because it was so bright out, the bear couldn't just hide in the darkness, they had to actually hide, because if you were standing there, you would be seen, it was so bright, the light of the moon was so bright. And I also had a real disadvantage because I'm quite fair-skinned, and so the, the bright moon reflected off my face, and, and I was pretty much like a walking flashlight. Didn't help the gray hair, you know. And Talking about grandparents, who said that? Pat, come on. I'm not a grandpa yet, not even close. But, but anyway, you know, it's probably better than when I, when I try to get a tan at a beach and everyone has to put on their sunglasses, you know. That's, that's worse. Well, what can I say? I, I guess God just, just really made me to reflect his glory. <laughs> and I just want to give a shout out to all of those of you 
uh, whose skin only has two settings, tomato or marshmallow. Um, you know, at least I'm the most dedicated Jets fan there is, because under here, I'm always rocking the Winnipeg Whiteout. I'm just saying. Sorry, I had to, th I could not make fun of myself there. <laughs> but now we know, that we know though, since, since we're curious beings and we love to discover and find out how things work, that the moon doesn't actually have any light of its own, right? The moon is simply a reflection of the brilliant light of the sun. So, so it actually works quite well as a metaphor when you think of Jesus as the sun and us as his followers as the moon. We, we reflect the glory and the greatness of God on the earth, right? Now here's another little interesting thought if we want to stretch the metaphor a little bit. But can any tell, anyone tell me when, when can we not see the light of the moon? Yeah, new, new moon? What, what's, what, what's happening then? The earth moves between the sun and... Oh, interesting, interesting thought, right? When the world gets in the way of the sun. Hmm. Interesting, interesting expansion to the metaphor, perhaps. Is the world getting in the way of you reflecting the light of Christ? Are things of this world keeping you from refle reflecting Christ in your life? Or, or maybe, like I mentioned before, you're trying to shine brighter. You're, you're doing all you can. In fact, you're trying to be the sun yourself. I'm sorry, we are, we're trying to be the light when we were meant to reflect the light. That's one of the big problems of the church today. We act like we're the source of truth and we're the source of light. We start to act as though it's, it's our work and it's our programs that change people and save people. We try to do more things for Jesus and we try to shine brighter and, and we burn ourselves out trying to be what we were never meant to be. Jesus says, you are the light of the world, but, but you are the light only because you reflect Jesus to the dark world around you. John chapter 3 verse 19 to 21 says this. Um, let me just turn there. John chapter 3, verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. You see, that's the thing about light. Light pierces through the darkness. Light is directly opposed to darkness. Light, light has a major impact on darkness. In fact, where there, is, where there is light, darkness cannot exist. Even a small, of, a small light can be seen for miles. And this is why Jesus points out the obvious when he says, if you hide a light, it's useless. Just like the salt that has lost its saltiness, light that has been hidden is useless. It has no impact. That's the main point of what Jesus was getting at when he compares his followers to salt and to light. As Christians, we have an impact as long as 
as we are in Christ, we will have that impact. People will take notice by our very nature. It's who we are. It's, it's not something that we need to try to be. It's our identity. When we are poor in spirit and show the world around us that we are broken, and Jesus is the only one who can truly repair us, we have an impact. When we mourn in recognition of our spiritual poverty, the world will notice as Christ restores us and we have an impact. When we put aside pride and approach the throne of grace with humility, and when we live out of that humility, recognizing Christ's greatness in our lives, we have an impact. When we hunger and thirst for righteousness, when we want to do what's right more than anything else, we have an impact. When we show mercy to others just as Christ showed mercy to us, we have an impact. When we are pure in heart, when our motives are focused on one thing and that one thing being Christ, we have an impact. When we make peace, when we resolve conflict rather than create it, in our day-to-day lives, we have an impact. And finally, when we are persecuted because of Christ, when others can't stand the conviction of the light of Christ that shines on them as it is reflected in us, we have an impact. We change the world. Brothers and sisters, that's what, it all, that's what it's all about. As followers of Jesus, by our very nature, we change the world around us because we are salt and we are light when we truly follow Christ. We have been blessed and therefore blessing flows out of us. In fact, as followers of Christ, uh, we, we are a continuation of the blessing that God first gave to Abraham when he chose him to be his representative in the, in the people of Israel, right? This, this entire story of the Bible continues to point to this. If you go back to that, to that record uh, of the blessing found in Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, and I'll read it for you. It, it's, this is what God says to Abraham. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever, you, whoever curses you I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. First through Abraham, continued on through the Israelites, and, and then through Jesus we see God's plan to restore the world to its original design. Right? The amazing things that we are now a part of because we are a part of this redemptive work of Christ as that same blessing flows through us to the entire world, right? That reflection. So back to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus closes his metaphor by saying, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's what it's all about. In the end, that's what it's all about. Bringing glory to the one who has changed us. Others will take note. The world will be blessed through us in Christ. The world is watching. So as the salt and light, what's your impact? Are you reflecting the image of Christ wherever you go? Let us live lives worthy of our identity in Christ. Amen.